0: And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday Morning Mosaic Worship Service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle. All right. Hey, want to greet everyone who's worshiping with us online. We're so glad you're with us. We have people in the house. you are so cool. <laughs> Honey, our people. That's wonderful. And we're so glad you're worshiping with us. And we're going to continue to connect together, uh, diverse people who share a common brokenness in Christ, whether we're in the parking lot, in the facility, in the sanctuary next week, online, on the street corner, at the coffee shop. We're serious about this thing, man. And you know, we put people in boxes until we find out there aren't any. Not in God's creation anyways but in a human-made creation. And so we're we're closing up this week, uh, finishing our weight in the balance series. Next week, I can't wait. Our heritage audience will be back in the house. They're rip-roaring, ready to get back in. Uh, I'm so excited about that. We'll be in person. We'll be online. We'll be all those things. None of our online uh, uh, platforms are going anywhere. So continue to to connect to worship. If you're not ready to come back in person, that's okay. Um, uh, We are diverse people. We're going to be connected uh, and use every way to do that. Next week, I'm going to talk about a homecoming. about coming back, story of the prodigal coming home, the story of the older brother who needs to get his rear end home too. And we're going to look at that, what it means to, to, to celebrate. We have to celebrate, right? And the week after that, uh, some of you know I'm a nutty fisherman, so our summer series is a a, a, bit, a great fish story. We're going to look at the book of Jonah. It's a great fish story in, in the Bible. But this week, we're ending our series, Weight in the Balance, where we've been looking at how do we measure ourselves? Not do we measure up. Jesus Christ took care of that on the cross, right? Let's not go back and replay that that video. But, but how do we measure whether we're growing, whether we're growing in our walk with Christ individually and collectively as a church? And our Vision 2020 team that worked so hard to fashion our, our, our mission and our vision and our values and our strategy, um, they came up with four measuring questions, four questions that we want to be so ingrained into the DNA of Garfield Memorial Church that we're asking them to ourselves when we're in our own prayer closet, we're asking them at our dinner table, We're asking them in our small groups. We're asking them as we gather together. Four questions that will kind of measure us to see are we living out our mission, both individually and together as a body of Christ? And they are, you remember, we've gone through them in this series. The first one is about love. Am I loving my neighbors the way God loves them? We spent two weeks on that one. The second one was humility. Am I putting the needs of others ahead of my own needs? That's Philippians 2, 1 through 5. Last two weeks, Pastor Terry and I looked at sharing. Am I sharing God's good news? Let's not forget this is good news. I think some people in religion forget that. and They share a lot of bad news. Gospel means good news. How am I sharing the good news of God's love for all people? Not some people. Not certain people. Not people I get along with. How am I sharing the good news of God's love for all people? And finally, if we're connecting diverse people who share a common brokenness, this is the last question. It's around connect, okay? Do I have meaningful connections with diverse people? This is a measure. Do I have meaningful connections with diverse people? Who am I reading? Who am, who am I you know, listening to on various things? Who am I engaging with? Am I entering to the fullness of God's creation? Or am I doing it the American way in 21st century? Am I living in an echo chamber? Right? Too many of us live in echo chambers. Right? Some of you know I'm teaching a doctoral class, a dissertation at United Seminary in uh, in uh, Dayton, Ohio. The title of the doctoral class is "Disruptive Church Leadership." I shared that this morning, and somebody goes, "Nobody knows more about disrupting things than you." Um, Like they picked the right guy. But I'm doing this, but I'm also writing my dissertation because they're uh, as part of this, and United is blessed enough to give me a doctorate for this work um, of teaching and being a student. We're always both of those things, right? But one of the contentions. I'm making, you will never know the fullness of God if you live in a spiritual, political, social, economic echo chamber you'll never know the fullness of God, you'll know a part of God you'll know a little piece but you'll never know what Paul says is the height, the depth, the breadth, and the width of the fullness of God's love in Christ Jesus, you'll never know the manifold wisdom of God's love that's why God has created the world intentionally as a diverse world for us to enter into community. But we're so ingrained in our echo chambers that we don't even have news stations anymore to tell us news. They just, we pick which one to reinforce what we already believe. We're stuck with bias. There's all kinds of biases, unconscious bias. I read a study recently on bias from a University of Toronto and James Madison. And they said that all of us have biased blind spots. <laughs> You think you're not biased. Okay, hang out in this story for a little while. And what they said in this story is we have biased blind spots because all of us, we have our own biases, but we relativize ours. Hello. So if you're up on 480 in bad traffic, and all of a sudden you're driving like a mad person because, you know, you're late for a meeting or whatever, what do you do? You rationalize it. I don't normally drive this way. Uh, My child was late getting together and and I'm speeding because I have a meeting. So you rationalize it. Let somebody else drive that way on the highway. What do you say? Jerk. (laughs) No rationalizing. Oh, maybe they're having a bad... No, they're just a jerk. Because we've got biased blind spots. And it is these things that keep us from connecting with diverse people. And the way the Bible says this happens is right in the book of Acts. It happens through conversion. See, I know nobody's going to amen that. Because nobody likes the word conversion in 21st century modern America. Well, that's so narrow. What do you mean? well listen to me read the book of Acts Christianity in its most uh, indigenous and authentic and I would say powerful form why did, the, why did Christianity spread uh, it's never grown the way it grew in the first 400 years why is it spreading even in the midst of persecution what's happening if you read the book of Acts it's not spreading because it had the right doctrine it's not spreading because it had the proper church organization or polity or, or ecclesiology right it's spreading because people's lives are being changed People are being converted, right? We got this story in Acts chapter 10 of Cornelius and Peter, two guys getting together through conversion who would never have been caught dead together anywhere else. And some scholars say this is maybe the linchpin story of the whole Christian movement. If Christianity hadn't happened as the way it happened in Acts chapter 10, we'd still probably be a sect of Judaism. You'd have progressive Jews and orthodox Jews and Christian Jews. But God widened the circle. God broke the boundaries right in this story we need conversion we need changed lives I was talking to my friend over here told me uh, last two weeks ago I was preaching on woman and well and everybody kept saying you gotta watch the chosen you gotta watch the chosen anybody watch the chosen Gosh, nobody beeped in the parking lot either. I, it's, a, it's a Jesus movie. It's like a crowd-funded thing. It's, it's on an app. You download the app. You can watch it on Fire TV. You got, It's all this stuff. I usually don't like movies about Jesus. I just don't. One of the reasons I've been to Israel five times and the people in these movies don't look like the people I've met over there. <laughs> they all look like they're... From Norway, like you know, no, Judas didn't look like that. So I tune that out. That bugs me. And the other thing is, the movies about Jesus, they're just not very good. They just aren't. They're like B-pro. This thing is really good. The people actually look like the people in the Middle East. And, and But the thing that's blown me away in this series, my wife and I were away this past weekend. My daughter and I binge-watched the whole first season. I, and what I love about it is what they call in writing character development, the character development of Mary of Magdala and Nicodemus and Simon Peter is so amazing because they're being converted. They're, they've got all their pimples, warts, and flaws, and beauties, and glories, and, and problems. And it's not like that all goes. Away, somebody says, when we're really converted to Christ, it's not like God is replacing you, but God is refacing you. Right alignment, turning, repent means to turn, and we're seeing these people with all of their stuff beginning to face toward the kingdom of God. It's amazing stuff. This is how this is how we enter into diverse community, right? So, quick things about conversion. I'll try to get to these as quick as I can. I might preach a little longer today because I'm really happy to see you. <laughs> And you can't do to me like I did to Pastor Scott out in the hallway because I never know what he's going to say, so I hit mute. You know, I just, I just, just so you know, I have that button. Okay. Um, conversion, a few things to know about conversion. First, we learn this story. Conversion, this kind of conversion, comes through God's initiative. See, Peter and Cornelius were very successful people in their own rights, different parts of the track. They were managing their own lives, thought they had everything under control. They're not the ones that orchestrated their conversion. Do you notice how God is driving the story? Peter's up on a rooftop and he's saying prayers. I'm going to talk about his vision in a minute. But at the end of his vision, it says, hey, here's three guys coming your way. They are strange. They are not people you hang out with, but don't be deceived. I sent them to you. I sent them that's acts 10 19 to 20 right i've sent them god is taking the initiative and with cornelius when peter gets to cornelius's house and and he's got all his bias i loved it he gets to cornelius house he said i came here without objection what a liar (laughs) if you read acts 10 peter's objecting the whole way there do you see how blind we are but he gets to cornelius's house he says well i'm here why did you send for me I'm the last person you sent for. And you hear what Cornelius said? He said, I sent for you because God sent for me. An angel came. An angel came. Now, I know what you're saying. Saying, okay, Chip, Peter got a vision. Cornelius got an angel. I ain't got any of those things. Well, neither did the Ethiopian eunuch. If you read chapter 8, he's riding back from Jerusalem, all disappointed. And he gets a, a tired disciple running up to him at a bus stop. Lydia didn't get an angel. She went to a Bible study. She got a guy named Paul who sat down next to her and began to talk to her. But I will say to you, when you look back over your life, and you think it was you that was searching for God, (laughs) you know what Jesus said to his apostles? You didn't chose me, but I chose you. I put you in the right place at the right time to hear the right message just as I orchestrated it. And when you look back over your life and you think, well, I was searching for God. I was looking for the right church. No, God in Jesus Christ was looking for you. That's what distinguishes. It is. That's what distinguishes Christianity from every other world religion. I'm not being judgmental. I'm just saying what it is. I don't believe Christianity is a religion. You've heard me say that from the beginning. They, the world had enough religions. The gospel's something different. I'm going to unload on that in a minute, Jack. But here was the deal. What happened was, all the world religions said, look, I'm a teacher. I'm going to show you how to find God. Follow the yellow brick road, right? Just follow the yellow brick road. You'll get to find God. You'll meet the wizard. Follow these teachings. You'll get there. Jesus Christ shows up and does not say that he says I'm not here to show you how to find God I am God in the flesh come to find you you're the one that's lost God's not lost and that's it we God always takes the initiative in bringing us in to this new, this new life, this new refacing, and yes, this new community. And here's the deal: here, um, I, I got to tell you, our bishop is here today. I didn't want to say that because she doesn't like to be pointed out, Bishop Tracy Malone. But I'm going to tell you, if you see her today, we just thank her. Like this has been so hard of a 15 months. I was worried about taking care of like 1,200 people. Can you imagine her like taking care of 1,200 churches? And I'm just, I'm going to. do... I'm going to do some confession today. Bishop got a few texts for me like, Bishop, I can't take it anymore. I'm like, she probably multiplied that by 6,742. We love you, Bishop. You are an amazing leader. And I only say that. I, I say that I'm I'm CYAing up here right now because, you know, just, just so y'all know. Because you have an Episcopal leader here. One of the things this point might get her attention. And that's what I say conversion does not come as a result of religion. Conversion comes as a challenge to religion. Ooh. Somebody give me some music. Ooh. Okay. What what am I dealing with here? Look, Look what was keeping Peter and Cornelius apart. It was religion. It was human-made religion. Peter's up on his rooftop praying. He, you know, in that day and age, they had cleanliness laws. He is a devout Jew who has accepted Jesus as Messiah. But they had cleanliness laws. They had purity laws. It dictated what you could eat, what you could wear, when you could be intimate with your spouse. Who you could hang out with was the big one. And you don't hang out with Gentiles or Samaritans, man. You'll be unclean. And Peter's up there feeling all self-righteous in his self-made religion where he is still too much in control. And God brings a vision. I love it. He said he brings down like this sheet with all this food on. It's like a picnic tablecloth, man, with everything Peter was not allowed to eat. Barbecue ribs. (laughs) Juicy cheeseburger. Not well done. Little blood in it. Medium rare. Peter. And he says, go eat. And Peter goes, here's the religion speaking. I have been a righteous person and I have never eaten anything that is unclean or profane is what the translation was. The Greek word is koinos. It means common. I have never hung out with commoners. I've never been with those unclean people. And you know what God says? I love it. He drops a hammer on me and said, Peter, don't you ever say that anything or anyone that I have made is unclean or common. And he challenges that. And here's Cornelius. You think, here's Cornelius. He's on the other end of the spectrum. The angel shows up and says to Cornelius, Cornelius, God has heard your prayers. He's a praying man. God has seen you giving your alms to the poor. Cornelius is a Roman soldier. He is extremely wealthy. But the angel said that wealth has not gone to your head. And you're generous, and you're now. If 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 somebody shows up to you and says, "Oh my gosh, you know, uh, Sue, I mean George, you're 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 praying, you're reading your Bible, you're going to church, uh, you're giving to the poor," what's the next thing they should say? Just keep doing what you're doing. Not this angel. Says, "Hey, Cornelius, you're such a good man. You're so religious. You're so faithful. You're so giving. Now you need to be converted. Go get Peter and hear the gospel." Same with Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes to Jesus, right? Member of the Sanhedrin, put moral, rich, wealthy. Everybody says, "Well, you know, conversions are for people that aren't pulled together." Let me tell you, nobody was more pulled together than Cornelius, Paul, and Nicodemus. Sometimes the pulled together people are the hardest to reach because when you think you're okay, you don't hear the gospel. When you know you're not, <laughs> thank you, Jesus. And here's Cornelius. It's a non sequitur. I learned that word from Pastor Terry 17 years ago. I did. Didn't know what it was when I came to Garfield English. was my second language. But Terry has cleaned me up. And I can say non sequitur now. It's a non sequitur. You know, Cornelius, you're righteous. You're good. You're doing all these things. You need to be converted. You see, it's a challenge to religion. It's a challenge to this, this thing where we think we navigate our own salvation. If I just do this and this and this and this. No, <laughs> your arms are too short to box with God, the old preachers used to say. It takes God's salvation. Okay, so this it, conversion comes through God's initiative. It comes actually as a challenge to human religion. And thirdly, it comes, and this is the most importantly, it comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. It says while Peter was speaking, while I'm up here preaching and trying to be dazzling and cute and everything, the Holy Spirit came. Holy Spirit fell. So God takes the initiative, right? Uh, God challenges our self-controlled salvation through religion. And God brings about transformation through the Spirit. John the Baptist said, I baptize you with water, but there is a brother coming. Who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And as Peter was speaking, the Holy Spirit fell. It fell upon these Gentiles. It fell upon people that he never believed it could fall upon. And there were two signs of conversion that happened. ready for this? They were praising God and speaking in tongues. I'm going to. These are the two marks of the Holy Spirit. Uh Uh-oh. Now i got my bishop's attention. Now nah, he's going down glossolalia. No, no, but seriously, it, well, they are, you know what? One is a sign of inner transformation. The other is a sign of outward transformation. Anybody in here have a belly button? <laughs> what do you call them? Idiot. Inirati, right? See, belly buttons are theologically left... God knew what he was doing when he gave us belly buttons. <laughs> but really, seriously, you know why? Because if you're a self-made man or a self-made woman you don't have a belly button. So it's just your belly button. just a little reminder that you didn't create yourself, that you have been intricately and wonderfully made. And I think... I know, I'm here all week. I know, but I think, I think this in and outy thing, and it's a small world, but it's mine, is a sign of transformation. Inward transformation is psychological. Inward conversion is psychological. You begin to praise God. See, everybody worships something... You've heard me? I don't have time to go down that road again. We all do, right? Alfred Adler, who was a great psychotherapist, he once said, everybody has a bottom line. Something that they look to that without which their life is unbearable. The problem is we, I've said this with idolatry, it's not making bad things idols, it's making good things ultimate things putting good things, marriage, career, family, in the place where only God belongs. So God comes in and does an inner psychological conversion. They're praising God. And then an outward sociological transformation. They're now speaking in tongues. They're speaking in the language of all the people. Now, Peter gives us a clue what's going on in Acts chapter 11, verse 15. The next chapter, he begins to tell the other apostles what has happened. Look what he said. As I began to speak to these Gentiles over here, right? The Holy Spirit fell upon them just as it had upon us. Do you hear this them and us being destroyed? Where? At the beginning, what was the beginning? It was what Terry preached about last week it 's Pentecost. We, I saw the Holy Spirit fall on them just as it fell upon us when the sound of the mighty rushing wind came, and tongues as a fire preached on, appeared on everyone, and they went out and did what spoke in every language under heaven. See, Peter didn't understand what that meant. He knew the the gospel. He knew what Jesus had done. But he he wasn't living Pentecost. He wasn't living being a sinner saved by grace. In fact, he confesses his own racism when he gets to the door. Did you hear it? When he said, "Uh, as a Jew, I would never come into this home of a Gentile. But God has shown me a better way. See, he's got to be pushed out of his his preoccupations and out of his uh, pedigree and all these other things. And Peter goes in there and he says, I saw the Holy Spirit fall on him. And all of a sudden, he remembered it happened to them at Pentecost. What was going on? Do you understand what God was doing at Pentecost? Why did God not speak the first sermon through one particular language? Why did these uh, Hebrews not go out into the street and preach in Hebrew? Why did those who spoke Koiné Greek, why didn't they go out and speak in Greek? Because if the, if the gospel had been spoken in one particular language, in one particular culture, it would have indicated cultural superiority. But God is so serious about his creation that God says, I'm speaking in every language, culture, and tongue so that you will know that no culture is superior over another one, that no political persuasion is superior over another one, that no socioeconomic situation is superior. If you you have superiority, and you're fighting them. You're not fighting them. You're fighting me, saith the Lord. And that's why I'm not picking on our Muslim brothers and sisters. I love them, but in Islam, you know the, the, the Quran was written in heaven uh, by God, given to the angel Gabriel, hand off to Muhammad. And very purest Muslims I know and I fellowship with, they don't believe it should be translated because there's a cultural superiority built into it. There's one language. No, 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 Peter. I don't have one language. I don't have one culture. I don't have one persuasion. If you're stuck in that, you're not walking with me. You're not living Pentecost. And so what does God do? He creates a Gentile Pentecost. (laughs) And they're speaking in every language under heaven too. And what does Peter say? I get it. I get it. God shows no partiality. So that's one of the one thing I got to tell you something. We we've got some American kind of privileged stuff going on. I get mad when people are going, you know, if you're an American you speak English, that's not a god. Where does that come from? I remember, I went to Germany. I want to go back to study my German roots. And My mom, I remember Terry, my mom, my wife, and I, and my kids. You know, we went to Germany, and and uh, I want to get you know into indigenous Germany. That's my background culture in that. And everybody said, you gotta go to the Black Forest in Germany. I said okay, and I, I did all the feeders, you know, tour guys. You should see me. I'm dangerous with that stuff. And I looked like all the tourists go to Tittsee. You should go to Tittsee. And I say, well, if the tourists go there, they said, but if you want to go deeper in the Black Forest, go to Schultze. It's authentic German. And I said to my mom, we're going to go to Schultze, the heck with Tennessee, the heck with the tourists. And we went into Schultze and we got there. Problem was, everybody spoke German. <laughs> Uh-oh. I only had three words I knew. And Schultzenbite, it meant, excuse me, please. I kept saying that in the train. Didn't know anything else. We walk in, you know, to our first hotel and a woman starts going on. I'm like, what am I doing? You know, my eyes got real big. And she just looked and she's an older lady and she smiled, and She said, English, English. And she spoke to me in my native tongue. That's of Jesus. That's of the kingdom. Don't get hung up in these other things. The world divides, but God has shown me what is right and true. So let me end with this. Uh, God creates a whole new community. That's, that's, that's what it is. Conversion brings forward a whole new community. There was a businessman in England. He, uh, his name was... Um, William Dunkerley, he was very successful in business, and he was not a believer in Christ. And he loved a a line by uh, Rudyard Kipling, an old writer, who said in one of his poems, Oh, East is East, and West is West, and never the twain shall meet. And that was this businessman, William Dunkerley, and he kind of lived by that. Everybody in their own lanes, hang out with your own people. East is East, West is West, never the twain shall meet. But he met Jesus, and he wrote a new song. In fact, you won't know his name by William Dunkley. He actually changed his name when he he came to Christ and started writing hymns. And he wrote hymns as a guy named John Axerham. And instead of, oh, east is east, and west is west, and never the twain shall meet, it was him that wrote, in Christ there is no east and west. In him no south or north. But one great fellowship of love around the whole wide earth. That's the kingdom that Jesus came to bring. In fact, he said to Nicodemus, you won't be born again. Two things will happen. You'll see the kingdom, and you'll enter the kingdom. Yeah. When I had this scripture, we, Terry and Scott and Steve and I, we planned these out for months. And I had the scripture today to be Acts 10, 17 through 27. But Terry can tell you, Terry McHugh, on Wednesday, I started. the Holy Spirit was not in me. I said, no, we got to include verse 28. We got to include verse 28. Because what does verse 28 say? After they were baptized, They stayed. They invited Peter, stay with us. Not for a few hours. Oh, the guest evangelist is here. Let's have a coffee. No, for several days. In fact, that word stay in the Greek means a really long time. See, I, I preached on Zacchaeus about six years ago, and God is always showing you new things. I grew up, I always thought when Jesus went to Jer- Jericho, you know, Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector, the Ponzi scam artist, the, the you know, the pornographer, whatever you want, put it in there, the worst sinner in the world. And Jesus said, come down, I'm, I need to go to your house. I always thought Jesus went by, had a coffee, <laughs> had lunch, passed out a track. You know, read it, I it. Stop it. I read it, but he said, Gee, Zacchaeus come down because I must stay in your house. Do you realize I read Greek scholars that said it could have meant Jesus stayed for weeks or months. No wonder they said he's gone to be with the house of a sinner. Right? They stayed. They entered into this community. It wasn't like they went to a little festival. Okay, we're going to go do the racial reconciliation thing. We're going to sing Kumbaya and then go home. Go back into our little silos, our segregated pulpits and pews, No, they stayed. It was intoxicating. It was enriching. It was empowering. I can't grow when nobody contradicts me. And too many people create a God like that. If you have a God that can't contradict you, if you have a God that can't challenge you, you have made a cardboard God. That is not a living God. And I need to be in a community where people will show me different facets and show me where maybe I was thinking one way, but I should have been thinking another. And maybe I didn't see this. And maybe I can tone down over here. That's the community. And Cornelius and Peter, they Stayed! Now, what is that community like? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to probably go about five minutes over, guys. I can't... Here's what... They asked Plato one time. Tell us about philosophy, the pursuit of wisdom. What is it? Plato said, I can't tell you what it is. I can only tell you what it's like. And that's kind of what Jesus did with the kingdom. He always kept talking about the kingdom. All he talked about. And do you remember one time he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? What is it like? And he would just tell stories. The kingdom of heaven is like a father had two sons. One was an absolute jerk. The other was a spoiled brat, but he loved them both. Kingdom of heaven was like a guy. He was fine jewelry. He was a gymnologist. He had PhDs from Gymnology Harvard School, wherever the heck that is. And he knew everything about every gem. But he went to market one day and he saw a pearl that he could not explain. And in his joy, he sold everything he had and he relinquished his PhD and he went to live in the community of the pearl. So I got thousands of stories, but I I had one that just pressed upon my heart that I'm going to share today. I'll close with this. Terry and I, back in March, we were really anxious to get our vaccines. We wanted to get back in the land of the living. (laughs) You know, somebody came in today and said, hey, I'm Pfizer. I said, hey, I'm Moderna. You're a little bit Pfizer. I'm a little bit rock and roll, whatever. But Terry and I were desperate. And our Chancellor choir Director, Craig McGahee, God love him, he was talking to my wife and he knew Terry was